passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock, and welcome to Post Wrestling's very special, very official G1 Primer Preview. Looking ahead to... The entire tournament that will be launching this Saturday from Dallas, Texas. But I'm not doing this alone. Joined, as always, by Wei Ting and WH Park, who is with us. We have defeated multiple time zones to pull this one off. WH, first of all, thank you so much for joining Wei and I tonight. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Wei, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Yeah, thank you. Uh, this uh, feels oddly international, but... Um... I would say um, maybe we don't have to get used to that for too long because WH, I understand you'll be making your way over here, away from the land of the G1, actually. I'm, uh, you know, going to miss the entirety of the G1 this year. I'm not seeing a single show live, and uh, I'm coming to you know, hang out with you guys during your uh, Q&A and uh, see some shows while I'm in Toronto during the month of August. It's an interesting year for you to choose to not be around for the finals because they're not taking place in Sumo Hall. And I don't know if uh, those listening have heard every single edition of Cruel Summer, but the official Cruel Summer drinking game is WH explaining his hatred for Sumo Hall in the summer. <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible place. But, you know, I had a reprieve last year because I, I spent three nights in the amazingly air-conditioned Budokan Hall, and it was wonderful. It was a, it's like paradise compared to the memories I have of uh, sitting in Sumo Hall in the 35-degree uh, weather outside and possibly inside. Well, it should be uh, quite the tournament that we have to break down here. A lot of new blood in this year's tournament and also the exit of many performers that were here last year. No Kenny Omega, no Michael Elgin. No Minoru Suzuki uh, this year among those that are not coming back. But in their place, the likes of Will Ospreay, Kenta, John Moxley, and we'll go through the entire fields. Uh, I just want to start with kind of a, an overall assessment. First from you, WH, of uh, the A block. And this looks to be just night after night of intriguing dreams, dream match scenarios when you have... Kenta thrown in there, Kota Ibushi, Will Ospreay, Okada, and Tanahashi, and of course, Bad Luck Fale, who's probably going to be the, the glue that keeps this entire block together. Well, I, I'm i going to say like the most intriguing name is definitely Kenta, 
because this is his first time really in New Japan for wrestling proper and in the G1 Climax. And this is coming off of like five years in the WWE where he was kind of injury prone and he was kind of neutered by the WWE system. So I'm very, very intrigued and I have a lot of guarded optimism for his performance in the G1 this year. Way when you yeah. look at the at, at the B block, uh, this is one that I mean it's I think a lot of focus is on the A block, but there's certainly a ton in the B block that is of great interest. I feel I think so, and so much of that I think hinges on uh, the new debuts as well. You know, um, I mean, outside of Kenta in the A block and Will Osprey in the A block, you're, you're talking about I would say uh, a great deal of interest in John Moxley, obviously coming in. And also Shingo Takagi, I think a lot of people want to see how he performs in the mix with uh, a lot of the heavyweights that are in there. Um, you know, but I would certainly say uh, I think most people's attentions would be on the A block matches this uh, tournament. So let, let's start off. I, I think that we should just kind of uh, go through the individuals and kind of the matches that are of great interest to people where you see. Uh, some upsets occurring and ultimately who this is going to come down to. And looking at the A block, uh, WH, we can start there uh, with Hiroshi Tanahashi. And this is a interesting tournament for him. If you've been watching him this year, he had the phenomenal match with Kenny Omega, but this has become a struggle for this guy that, you know, he's always dealing with certain setbacks and it is, how can this guy adjust to, the rigors of this, I sound like Seth Rollins right now, the rigors of this tournament that uh, are coming up for the next seven weeks. Uh, how do you feel, uh, what, what is Tanahashi's role this year in the G1? It's hard to say because I I would venture to say that his role would be what I said his role last year was, which is like he's going to get, you know, key wins over, like he's going to provide key wins to a lot of the younger up-and-coming talent, like get, basically put other people over, but that turned out that be completely wrong. He he ended up going into the finals and he had the best match. I would say one of the matches of the year, probably my match of the year from last year with Kotobushi in the finals. And I was stunned at at him at how he performed last year. So I can't discount like him this year because who knows? Like I personally don't feel he's gonna go to the finals. I, I do think he's gonna have some amazing matches because when it's G one time, he just performs like he turns it up to another level. I mean, I've I've been watching obviously for the Cruel Summer series, like a bunch of his matches recently from past G ones, and he doesn't phone it in. He just brings it. It doesn't matter how banged up he is, supposedly. You know, it doesn't matter like what he was doing in the early stages of the tournament. When it comes down to like the last couple of nights and in key matches and in key cities, he's going to turn it on and he's going to do his best, whether he's going to lose or he's going to win the match. And I feel. If he's not in the final four, he's he's going to be really close in that mix. Yeah, and I think way that when you look at the lineup, obviously they're coming out of the gate with probably expectation wise one of the biggest with Tanahashi Okada. They've never had a finish uh, in a thirty minute match. Uh, are you expecting uh, a win for either Okada or Tanahashi off the bat on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really interesting one. The thing is, you know, you, because it is um, a, a, real, a new market uh, where they're doing this match, it makes you wonder if going off the air with a draw, that would be very unusual, I think, for an American market if they would consider that, you know, a bit of a turnoff for, for a show 
that I think already has had some negative press attached to it. Um, I I don't know if if the uh, a, a North American New Japan audience would necessarily be turned off by it, especially if the match is amazing. Um, I I wouldn't rule it out at all. I I absolutely wouldn't. Um, it, in fact, I think it would be quite the feat for them to go off air in that main event with a draw, as long as the match was really hot. So I look forward to that. Are you guys aware that this is T- Hiroshi Tanahashi's 18th G1 this year? So his G1 career can legally drink as of now. <laughs> that, that's amazing. Like when you consider this is his 18th G1 and Will Ospreay and Jay White are 26. That's pretty that's incredible. <laughs> um, if you really want to look at more numbers with him, he reached the finals in 2004. 2010, 2013, he won in 2015, uh, 2007, 2015, and of course last year. It, it's a pretty amazing record. I think he probably has the best record of anyone in either block this year. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously the Okada match you're coming out with, Abushi is going to have such enormous expectations attached to it. I, I think that Zack Sabre Jr., that's a few you can always revisit with, with Tanahashi, uh, him and Osprey. Like, this is... This is not the the block to be in if you, if you're someone that has to uh, be concerned about your uh, about kind of like mortgaging yourself. And I'm with you, WH. Like Tanahashi, he has always been able to adapt whatever handicaps he's dealing with, and it works out in the end. But the, the, there is going to come the time that this guy is suddenly going to replicate his age and all that wear and tear on his body. But He's been very smart about how he's adjusted his style, but there are going to be those nights that he's going to have to have big, big performances and and high risk ones as well in terms of the the impact that he's going to take. Yeah, but he's a good. He's very good about pacing himself, so I, I'm not that worried about him. And I, I don't. I don't think he's going to strain himself too much during the like undercard tag matches. So we'll see what happens with him. Uh, let's let's chat a bit about uh, Kazuchika Okada, who comes into this as the IWGP Heavyweight Champion, and that is going to be interesting to see what what challenges are set up for him. What are the key losses? And way if you were like pinpointing two, maybe three guys that get uh, wins over Okada, uh, who are they? Hmm. I I wonder. Um... I wonder what they would do. The to me, the Will Osprey match really intrigues me in this year because, um, uh, you know, of Will Osprey's uh kind of proclamation of of wanting to make that junior heavyweight belt seem like it's a heavyweight belt. Um, that said, he's lost twice to Okada in the past. Uh, he is his leader in chaos. I don't know if it's necessarily time to go to that rematch before the G one. Uh, a rematch that you know Will Osprey would inevitably inevitably have to lose. So beyond that match, you could really maybe like, you know, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. might be an interesting challenge. Um, basically, you're looking at who can Okada beat before Wrestle Kingdom that won't necessarily completely ruin that person. Um, so yeah. I, I'm looking at I'm looking at Sonata. I think it's I, I think WH that that show in Osaka, it's kind of geared towards Sonata finally getting that win over Okada. I think so. That's where he, you know, he dropped the fall to evil, like uh, back in 2017. And that place went nuts for that. And Sonata's, you know, one of those guys that, you know, he's simmering underneath. He's very popular with the New Japan crowd. 
And I think Osaka is the land of upsets in the G1, uh, particularly when someone is facing the IWGP champion. Uh, we also have, um, so Okada, of course, as we mentioned, he starts off with, with Tanahashi. And then if you're looking ahead to the final three nights, uh, one of the big ones of the show, uh, of the entire tournament, is August 10th, where you have Kazuchika Okada versus Kota Ibushi and Tanahashi Will Ospreay on top there. And you would have to imagine, obviously, Okada, but that's kind of the mix you're looking at that's going to be probably contending for that, that final spot. Oh, which, the, one of those matches? I, I think all four guys you would expect to be alive going into that, that first night at Budokan. Oh, definitely. I mean, I have one of them being like my finalist from A Block. So um, Kota Ibushi, I think, is going to get the win over Okada to set up a, a future title shot because I don't think he's going to go to Wrestle Kingdom to challenge for the title. So I think he, they can easily slot him into like King of Pro Wrestling or or whatever else, whatever big show is going to become coming before like January fourth uh, or fifth in twenty twenty. Yeah, uh, I think way Kota Bushi. This is going to like this seems to just have the entire makings of this being his big year. The guy is signed and he's going into this. They need to have uh, a healthy top end mix, and this just feels like Kota Bushi's year to i mean you could certainly make a strong argument of winning the entire thing oh for sure yeah i think he he might be a front runner for a lot of people at least within a block but um just looking at like all the matches that are possible within this year i feel like so many threads can be picked up from um a lot of his opponents earlier this year or in last year and i'm looking at matches against will osprey that wrestle kingdom rematch that i think uh Everybody remembers so fondly that resulted, of course, in a, in a Kota Ibushi concussion. But um, I think it, it might be one of the more heavily anticipated matches of the entire tournament. Also, a rematch from G1 final last year against Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, the whole storyline that they established uh, between those two were Ibushi recognizes Tanahashi as God. And finally having to defeat God, I, I think, will be very intriguing. As you look, uh, WH, uh, at Kotobushi, I mean, we, we've seen the adaptations that Will Ospreay has made that uh, I think has been for his own well-being and longevity. With Kotobushi, there is so much on his shoulders in this tournament, and is that any concern to you of this guy uh, that I, I would not be betting the bank on this guy pacing himself and just treating every single match like it's the li- last night of the tournament? Well, I mean, I look at who he's in there with, and he, well, for one thing, he's not in there with Naito. That's good. He, he's not in there with Ishii, which is good. Um, so he's not going to necessarily, you know, be in those kinds of matches with guys who are, you know, he's known to like just kind of throw it all to the wind, except for Osprey. That's the only person I'm, I'm really majorly concerned about him facing where he's just going to go nuts in that ring. Um, I don't think he's going to have like, a, you know, getting head dropped on his head that much by Lance Archer or, or Kenta even, or anyone else in this, in this, uh, in this block. So I, I'm not that worried about it with him. I I'm more worried like in the last three nights when he's like, you know, gonna just put it, you know, put it all on the line in Budokan. Cause I think that building is going to motivate him to just like go nuts. I, I don't think it's going to be as bad as he is like in the same block as Ishii or Naito. Usually we always get the story of someone, one of the favorites who struggles at the beginning and then makes 
the big comeback. Uh, do you see that being a role for uh, a Tanahashi or an Ibushi, uh, you know, selling the effects of the, the wars he has had with, with Naito? I mean, Wade, do you see anyone kind of in, the, in that spot that can play the big, uh, you know, get the upsets over at the beginning of the tournament and then makes the big run towards the finals? Yeah, um, I think Ibushi could be that guy. Um, it's sort of a story you've already told with um, uh, Okada last year, so I don't necessarily see that happening. Um, you know, it 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 could be uh, somebody like a Tetsuya Naito, who I personally think will win the G One, and I think um, a story like that would would perfectly fall in line with him ultimately winning the whole thing. Uh, let's talk about a few more on on the A block side uh, with Will Ospreay. This being his first G one, uh, coming in as the junior heavyweight champion. I'll start with you, WH. Do you see Osprey being someone that is uh, kind of in that top mix uh, throughout all this? Do you see him being someone that has a slightly above five hundred record at, at the end of this? Um, and, and do you think the A block was optimal for him? Do you feel that um, like there's so much in the in this A block that um, his story is like one that you're compounding on many of the intriguing figures that are in the G1 this year. Um, I I think it's very deliberate that he's in the same block as Bad Luck Fale and Lance Archer, because I think this, mm-hmm. his story is going to be being a giant killer with these guys. He's already had the match with Archer in the New Japan Cup. Um, I can't remember how many with like he's done that much with Fale, but I don't see Fale beating him. I see Osprey like defeating Fale and Archer again. Um, and I see him actually, if you want me to reveal it, I, I think he's going to be, he's my A block finalist. I think he's going to go into the finals as wow. the winner of A block. Yeah. I, I think he'll have a tremendously like incre- impressive showing just because of, you know, what he's established of wanting to, uh, I mean, um, wanting to headline um, one of the Wrestle Kingdoms. I, and, and that's ultimately, I think, what I see this performance throughout this G1, uh, you know. Um, basically elevating him towards he's not just here to represent himself but to represent the entire junior heavyweight division and that belt to feel like it's something that belongs up there with the heavyweights so i i i anticipate um him having a really good record at the end of it not necessarily winning um but i think having a great showing for for you wh uh, barring injury in this tournament i mean to me will osprey is Leaps and bounds, my wrestler of the year, and I feel like this award is as close to being sealed as you can have that, again, barring injury, what this guy is going to have over the next two months. Yeah, I mean, I the other really intriguing match I think that's going to happen in terms of like the, the actual match itself, but also the booking is him and Zack Sabre Jr. Mm-hmm. Because I have a feeling that they're going to be the headliners of Royal Quest at the end of the month in August. And I, I think they're going to have a draw. I think that's going to be one of the draws that Will Ospreay is going to have in this tournament is against Zack Sabre Jr. Then he can challenge for the Rev Pro British Heavyweight title. So th- I'm really looking at that as being like, okay, they're going to have a draw. They're going to have another match at the, at the headliner, you know, of Royal Quest. And yeah, for, for me, like Will Ospreay has already cemented his place as wrestler of the year at the year, at the end of the year. I don't know who else is going to catch up to him just in terms of sheer output, sheer volume of amazing performances he's had this year, there, there's no one who can touch him. Yeah, I, I'd say when, when the both fields were announced, um, I, I think that with 
you completely understand why there was so much intrigue in John Moxley and more so questions about John Moxley. But I, I think that just after a, a small sample size, you get a sense of John Moxley post WWE. But to me, the intriguing figure now is Kenta in this A block. And I think we're going to know really early on what we're going to see from Kenta. It, it's very clear in his interviews, the guy is extremely motivated to kind of erase the past five years and showcase on this big stage what he still has left at at 38 and what he can do outside of the restrictions of WWE. And uh, I find him just like you are positive or negative. You're going to have a very clear message about Kenta after this tournament. It, it, it's going to be really interesting because, I mean, in, you know, it's one thing to like have. I think a Kenta style performance, perhaps, you know, on a big show one, one, uh, one day, maybe even go on a, a tour, but like to do a G1 where you have to live up to that standard for every single one of those matches, um, it will be incredibly physically demanding. And I, you know, that first night is going to answer a whole lot about what, you know, very high expectations might exist currently for him. Yeah. I mean, I, I think with Kenta, like the thing we're going to see from him is like that fire that he wasn't really allowed to show in the WB. Like he's gone on record saying like, you know, one person would say you can do this. Another person in the company would say you can't do this. You have to do this. So he was getting all these mixed messages. Whereas in New Japan, like, you know, he's just going to be told go out there and have a great match, do whatever you want to do. And like everyone in his block will be able to take, you know, the offense of, of, say, a 2004 version of Kenta. So I I remain yeah, guarded with my optimism, but I am very excited about the return of Kenta and that we're going to wash away the, the, the memory of Hideo Itami. Yeah, um, and just kind of rounding out the, the A block, uh, the ones uh, that we have not discussed, Sonata, I, I think this is a pretty important G1 for him. He's one of those guys that's kind of right on the brink of... You know, where, where Goto was for so many years, where it was like, all right, are they going to go to the next level with this guy? Or is he kind of going to just fade into, um, you know, a utility role? And I, I think this tournament, I think the Okada win is necessary for Sonata. And uh, and then rounding out, we have Lance Archer, Evil, who I, I, I think Evil is kind of lost in this shuffle in the A block. I mean, he's coming into this kind of being uh, so, somewhat... Uh, detached with lij so there is a story going in with sonata and evil in the same block and then we have bad luck Fale, zach saber jr and that makes up your a block um of those names way uh are, are you expecting archer or Fale to have any of like kind of the the early momentum where they pick up some wins to, over the first couple of nights of a block tournaments I think it'll be interesting to see what type of uh, um, booking they give Bad Luck Folly this year. I don't imagine you'll get a lot of the, any of the same DQ bullshit that we, we got uh, with a lot of the Bullet Club members last year. Um, but I'm actually looking forward to seeing Lance Archer. And, you know, now that he's a single star, um, what differences there might be in some of his performances. I I feel like, you know, Dallas especially, um, being a hometown of his, uh, you have to look towards that being a... A very good performance, and what better person to do that with than Will Osprey? Wh, when you look at the uh, a any kind of a uh, final thoughts on, on the A block that you're kind of intrigued by? Actually, I I really think Evil is going to have a really good tournament. I really think this is where they're going to start the push for him. I I do feel 
he's going to eventually leave LIJ. Because I, I feel like he's, you know, Naito is Chono and Evil is Tenzan. And like the only time Tenzan ever really became a main event guy was when he finally broke away from being like Chono's, you know, protege and, and struck out on his own. And, and, and I think this is going to be the year where like Evil is going to do that and head into 2020 really strong and get the big push. But and I think it's going to start with this particular G1. So I, where you say like Sonata is going to get the big push this is a key year for him. I actually think the same about Evil. And I think Evil is someone they're higher on because he is a product of their dojo system, whereas Sonata is kind of an import from like Wrestle One and, and All Japan before that and, and TNA. So I, I really think like Evil is going to have a very, very surprising G1 tournament this year. I, I think match quality wise, definitely. I, I feel though when it comes to pushing younger guys to that next level, it's very tough to do that, to pull off that booking in the A block because you have so many priorities that you know you have to have a, a, a certain degree of protection for Tanahashi to be alive at the end, Okada, Osprey, Abushi, like those are kind of the big four that it, it kind of becomes tough. Uh, how much uh, is Kenta going to be given point wise as well? I mean, it's it's a very intricate tournament to book, and I, I'm curious if Evil and Sonata, um, if they are going to be people that everyone is discussing by the end of this tournament, because inevitably there's always great talent that's kind of just gets lost in the blur of all the great matches you're seeing and and trying to stand out on these shows and it's going to be very difficult to be a standout on these a block shows um j- just given the depth on every single one of them well i just think with evil like you know we have like previous years where you had like people like carl anderson going to the finals you had goto going to the finals where whereas like at the start of their respective tournaments that you didn't think you didn't think they were going to probably end up in the finals or point very high. But so I feel evil. I don't think he's going into the finals, obviously, but I do think he's going to point very high. And I think he's going to get some very, very, you know, key wins over people in this tournament. Let's flip on over to the B block, which will not start until a week from Saturday. So this year we have the Dallas kickoff and then a one week break. So it kind of whets your appetite. And then it's into the insanity from July 13th onward and the b block consists of jeff cobb hiroki goto tomohiro ishii john moxley tetsuya naito juice robinson taichi shingo takagi jay white and Toriyano. uh wh what did you feel about the makeup of the b block and are there any omissions this year that you felt um you were just surprised by i think the big one was you know minoru suzuki like because he's like kind of a stalwart of the company he's kind of like epitomizes like the kind of old school strong style that New Japan was very famous for. So for him to not be in this, and I feel like he's still a huge star in the company for him not to be in this in, in lieu of some other names, not, none in the, none, none of the new people. Like I, I feel all the new people are fine, but some of the guys who just, you know, like are not that great performers getting another shot in the tournament. I, I understand the roles like someone like bad luck Fale, but I really feel like Minoru Suzuki was the glaring one in, in this year's G1 that he wasn't in this. And there, you lost out in so many, I feel, intriguing matches. Like, he would have definitely had a barn burner with Kenta. And I, I think it would have been an easy match for Kenta to have just, you know, an amazing striking performance against that guy. Uh, and then, like, I, I mean, my, my dream match for John Moxley would be him and Minoru Suzuki. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the one everyone's focused on. Uh, Wade, do you do you see them being able to do that match with Moxley and Suzuki um, at some point? And I guess the big question is ultimately, what is Moxley's availability going to be after this summer? I think that's ultimately the the the, the case. I mean, um, it's it's the same question with Jericho as well. Uh, how often you know New Japan would be likely to use him after? AEW becomes a full-time thing. Uh, you know, we we neglected to mention in our Fighter Fest review, but he did not come out obviously with the uh, the U.S. Championship belt, uh, nor did he um, wear the same type of gear that we last saw him in New Japan with. So um, he could be completely separate characters between the two brands, um, which I think would be again very interesting to see how they handle once AEW becomes a full-time promotion with full-time TV and Moxley's uh domestic demands might be a lot greater. Um if they do that match I certainly hope that it, we get to it um uh, at some point. It would certainly be a great way to for New Japan to bolster some of their those cards post G1 between the G1 and uh and Wrestle Kingdom. Of all the names here, this is the one I want to start with. Jeff Cobb, okay? I'm a big fan of Jeff Cobb. I, I think he's tremendous. I'm glad he's in this year. Uh, mm-hmm. But man, if you watch that ROH pay-per-view on Friday, here is your, your partner promotion. They beat Jeff Cobb in less than 10 minutes to Matt Taven. Like they could not send him off into this tournament with less fanfare and buzz. Uh, God forbid they even bring up the fact that he's going into the G1. You would never know this if you're watching ROH. And the more I thought about it last week... Like, ROH, they so badly need something. And to me, putting the title on Jeff Cobb and sending him into this tournament to have all these great matches, like, yes, your ROH champion is going to lose. Jeff Cobb is not going to be one of the guys that's alive at the end. But you know what? ROH is hardly a company that is at the tip of people's tongue these days when they're talking about the best wrestling of the week, of the month, of any period. So to me, it would have been a great endorsement for them to send their title onto Jeff Cobb. And I think at the end of this, a lot of people are going to be talking about Jeff Cobb because I think he can have, he certainly has the field to have a great tournament. And I see him ultimately being a 500 guy, but I think upping his stock by the end of this. Yeah, I I think with with Cobb, I think he's going to be like sneaky, like, you know, good and talk and people could talk about him but like I, the thing is like right now he's just overshadowed by by moxley and shingo takagi and even like someone like jay white are overshadowing him even juice robinson but like I, I think they have a lot of faith in this guy like he's been someone that they go to for their big shows and he's brought in uh he's won the never title he, he's, he they have a lot of faith in this guy i think him his you know his loss in roh to matt haven is a very clear indication that He's not as committed to them. I don't know what his contract status with Ring of Honor is, but it seems to me that like maybe he's devoting more. He's going to devote more of his time to New Japan if he, if it's possible for him, uh, depending on like what his contract status is. Yeah. He also he also has outed himself as a flat earther, so he's really got to step away from that one. <laughs> well, you know, like you know, it didn't hurt Flip Gordon when he was in uh, New Japan, so I, I think it's okay. The man's going to be on a plane. I mean, you know, uh, all all on his way to Japan. You figure you can see the curvature. Uh, anyway, I don't know. Guys, we, we've reached the end of the world here. Uh, the end of Earth is right at this corner. Uh, if you want to peek over the edge. 
Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing Jeff Cobb. I'm a little surprised that uh, ROH maybe didn't have a, a, another entrant. I would have really been excited to see Brody King in this tournament as well. But yes. I think I think he, uh, Jeff Cobb is a, is a tremendous addition. I think uh, stylistically fits very well with, with a lot of people that are in there. Yeah, I'm very curious to see him uh, with, with a number of uh, individuals here. Um, Hiroki Goto is one that, I mean, he's had a bit of a hiatus. And is coming back for this tournament. He got a very big response when they announced him. Uh, WH, where, where is Hiroki Goto at, at this stage of his career? He is now 40 years old. He just turned 40 last week, actually. Um, and, and and what your expectations are going into this? I mean, is this guy uh, a sleeper performer in this B block? Uh, he's always a sleeper performer. He's never pushed very hard. You know, like, he his big, you know, pushes come in the G1. Like going into the finals and you know having these amazing matches and kind of like acting as a, his own kind of spoiler to other people that you think are gonna be you know going you know going point high themselves but he's maybe dashes their hopes for you know winning the whole thing i, I think with hiroki goto like he is slotted in the eyes of like ghetto that he's a utility player a very good utility player but that's it like he's never gonna win a major title. He's never gonna become the IWGP Heavyweight Title Champion. I think for him, like going forward, like he should become a tag team wrestler. If New Japan actually had a tag team division worth talking about, but they don't. So I, I really worry about this guy. I, I feel he should just leave the company. But I think someone <laughs> asked him that on Twitter, and they said, and he said, no, I love New Japan. It, it's, it's, a, it's unfortunate that that love is only goes one way. It seems. Oh man! Wow! Ouch! Psychological warfare here that uh, WH is getting to some deep analysis here. Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to a, a rematch between he and Ishii um, last year at, at the G1. That was one of my favorite matches in the entire tournament. But you know, him going up against uh, a John Moxley is incredibly intriguing as well. I, I think, like style wise, he's in a great field to have. Mm-hmm. A tremendous tournament when you look at, you know, Shingo and Naito and Juice and Moxley and e- like Goto. There's a reason he's in that utility role because you can slot him in with so many different guys and styles that I, I think that he's going to perhaps be uh, someone that, you know, midway through the tournament, everyone is, you know, it, it always just takes a few matches where everyone sees, yeah, this is where people see that greatness in, in Goto and I don't necessarily disagree with with his role. I agree he could be great as a, as a tag wrestler, but part of what I enjoy about New Japan is that there is a hierarchy. It's not 50-50 and everybody gets a turn with the championship. It's if you make it to that top level, it means you are the best of the best and it's a very, very exclusive club and guys that are just very good don't cross the threshold and that's kind of the whole kind of structure system of New Japan is that... Um, you know, trying to get into that that rarefied air that very few make it to. And then you have casualties like Goto, who are there in the mid-card and don't make it. Um, Tomohiro hey, Ishii. WH, is he the, be- the best looking in the in the block, though? Oh, yeah. We had a big discussion, WH, about okay. the best looking. And who would you say is the best looking first of the B block? <laughs> the B block? The best looking guy? Uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of him. I gotta say, Jay White probably. <laughs> He's the youngest. Uh, a yeah. block. Let me let me let me take a look. Wait wait wait, wait wait wait. Goto versus Taichi. Oh fuck, Ta- uh, Goto. 
Taichi's yes. a oh, sleepy okay. Thank you. Thank you. The That's... guy the guy looks the guy looks like he's like, you know, probably you know, taking like, you know, five hundred milligrams of penicillin every day, you know. <laughs> so Some people I, are into I, that. I wouldn't try Huh? Some people are into that look. Well, they could be into that. I'm not into it. I, I think Goto's rugged. Yeah, he looks like a he looks like, you know, a man's man kind of, you know. Whereas the, the, the guy could be doing like... Versace ads tomorrow, and it would be a seamless transition for them. Tai Chi is a walking Versace ad. What are you talking about? Yeah, uh, I don't know. He's just it's that cosplaying thing. He looks like one of those sleazy dudes in Akihabara, like going from maid cafe to maid cafe, and is just like, oh, I know what he's up to tonight. Shame See, on you. Shame on you. See, the A block is a way tougher block to break down in terms of attractiveness because it's what you're looking for, and I, I think there there are many different directions you can go. Uh, this is really tough. I, I, I'm going to have to go with my man, Sonata, though. Wow, yeah. Sonata's a wild card pick, especially with that goddamn beard, dude. Yeah, but he, he, he trimmed it. It looks much nicer now. He, it's under control. Every, so, every time I see that beard, I think of the dude from Making a Murderer. Like, it's the same kind of beard, and it's just, it's got to go. It's got to go. If we're going to put you over Okada, then the beard has to go, I think. But I know, well, I know, what, I know what WH means, though, because, like, that beard is almost there because he's too good-looking. Like he like he's the type who wants to be taken seriously, so you don't just look at his very distracting face, uh, and therefore maybe maybe that t- horrendously ugly beard. Well, I gotta say, you know, I'm biased because I follow him on Instagram, and my God, his Instagram is just an amazing sight to behold. This man is a fashion plate. He's like should be on the cover of GQ every day. Every Lance week, Archer. Every month. Lance Archer, uh, I mean, like, if you're into, like, Sons of Anarchy cosplay, sure, you know, I, if that's what you're, that what floats your boat. Not for me. Like, Sonata, is, is it up there? I gotta say Zack Sabre Jr., too. That that man is very fashionable. Plus, yes. you know, his political leanings mirror my own to a large degree, so I give props to that. Well, as we shift back, um, uh, we were about to talk about Tomohiro Ishii, which, I mean, handsome in his own regard, but uh, maybe not not cracking people's uh, top of their list. But uh, I don't think there's any surprises with Ishii. I think he's going to be among, if not the best performers uh, of the entire G1. Um, he's in his role, and he's in a field where I could actually see him being like a strong player going into the final weekend. Like I think this could be the one where you really flirt with Ishii going to the finals, but ultimately falling short. Yeah, he's the, you know, we talked about Goto being the utility player. Well, Ishii is the ultimate utility player in New Japan for wrestling. Uh, you know, he's there, like, but he's like the best performer almost every year in these in these tournaments. I have to say, I am so excited for his tournament this year. I, I'm looking at the other people. You know, obviously we have like him and Naito going to kill it. Uh, him, him and uh, Taishi are going to have a great match, I feel. I'm the most excited, I feel, is between him and Shigo Takagi. I think they're going to murder each other, and it's going to be amazing. Yeah, I, yeah. I think the John Moxley match is really interesting, too, for that reason. And um, it, it really kind of, like, when you look at everybody in this field, it, it, it does make Bebop look like the more kind of, uh, I would say, you know, uh, big boy, like, strong style of, of the two groups. Yeah, I, I feel that, um, yeah, this is a year where I, I think you can go very far with Ishii, and he will be the sentimental favorite among those to, to see this guy finally uh, crack through when he's come so close and should have some just outstanding matches. Like, I, I, I 
look forward to him and Jeff Cobb and what that's going to uh, look like. I think that he's going to get the the best performance possible out of Tai Chi. He seems to be able to be the only one that can crack that code for me. And, and dude, Tomohiro Ishii and Toru And we can go to Toru here because this is, I always enjoy this guy having a spot in the tournament. I think it's needed and it's, it's always watching these guys and how they adapt to Toruyano and make it work. And we've seen some fail at it, but there is no match I am more intrigued by for Toruyano than him and John Moxley and how committed John Moxley is to having a Toruyano match. Oh yeah, I mean, that's definitely very intriguing. I I have no conception in my mind of what that will look like, so definitely I'm very intrigued by it. I I think for me, if I'm going to pick who Toruyano is going to have the best Toruyano Toriano match with it's either going to be Juice Robinson or Tai Chi. Uh, those could be good if if Toriano brings down a red wagon of weapons for the John Moxley match, it'll be made. It'll be that that could be it. That could, this could be the sleeper match of the tournament. I I hope that happens, John. I really do. Wait, uh, how do you expect John Moxley to be uh, booked in this G one? Is he going to be one of the protected guys throughout this entire block um, and, and not knowing what his long-term affiliation with new Japan is going to be. I, I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting one. I think he will be booked strong. Uh, will he kind of be somebody who's in contention towards the end? I, I, I could see it. I, you know, I, I, I do see him being relied upon more so than just the G1 for new Japan, at least throughout the rest of this year. And as such, I think, um, you you have to keep them relatively strong in order to promote some of these headlining matches or semi main event matches with him. So I I anticipate he'll be one of the front runners of this particular block. I I could very well see him, uh, holding on to that U.S. title and doing the Dome show at least one of them uh, in January. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, something to keep in mind is the Juice Robinson rematch that takes place um, at the end of of uh, the blocks. Um, so I would expect him to lose that one and then maybe going on to defending the belt again against Juice. Yeah, you could do that. You could have him lose the, the belt back to Juice and then maybe do something at the Dome. I'm sure that, you know, I, I think it'll very much reveal itself, like how much of a priority uh, John Moxley is. And for that matter, Kenta as well. What is what is his long term with New Japan going to be? How committed will they be uh, to Kenta as well? Like, is this someone that we can build things around or is this something that this is going to be uh largely just kenta coming back to make this statement but not make any long-term commitments with the company well i mean with moxley i i think if he does really well then you know that they've locked him up for working in japan for the foreseeable future probably until next january i don't see him losing to anyone like that's not a top level star i I don't think he's going to beat Naito. I I don't think he's I, him and Jay White's going to be intriguing with booking wise, but like I see him beating pretty much everyone else in this in this block except for Naito and possibly Jay White. Yeah, I I think that Jay White is going to have like I, I see Jay White being a contender right until the end. I think he needs it after the after after the the quick title win and title loss earlier this year that I, I see him having a pretty strong G1 uh, point total wise that I, I think that him, 
I, I could certainly see him being the one that comes out of the gate, much like he did last year, and kind of starting it off where he just racks up points and it, they'll be very selective with Jay White, who I do view him as like their ultimate uh, project to to elevate to that level. I agree with you. I think it's especially important for him this year coming off of, you know, he's he's not just a mid-carder now. He is a main eventer, a former uh, champion, leader of the Bullet Club. Um, I think he's, and I think he's shown vast improvement even between last year and now. So I look forward to seeing a lot of his performances. Hopefully, again, much like Foley without the same, you know, bs uh a dq type of finishes um but you know it's it's like a rematch between somebody like him and a juice robinson that i'm very curious to see uh what that looks like now compared to last year do you think wh that that was a lesson learned last year about all the negativity surrounding uh tamatonga and bad luck fale that the bullshit quotient will be significantly less this year or do you see uh, something approximating that uh be it for whichever uh participant that kind of I, is attached to. I definitely think with Jay White, they're going to focus more on him being a wrestler and, and more on him not winning because like he's doing too much bullshit. I think he has to win clean. Like he can cheat a little like, but I don't, I don't think like him, you know, using ghetto uh, as a distraction too often or ghetto just outright interfering in the match is going to do him any favors in the eyes of the fans. I think he has to kind of stand out on his own. So I, I do think that maybe they learned a lesson with him. I think they learned definitely a lesson with, you know, like uh, who who do they sacrifice for the A block to make some room was one of them was like Tamatonga. I don't think that was voluntary on his part. I think, you know, he's a smart guy. He came out ahead of that and said like, I, I don't want to be in it. But I think he was taken out of it for a reason. I think, you know, there's, in my theory, is that it was punishment for him attacking that fan in Osaka and littering. On, on the Shinkansen uh, platform. Those those <laughs> were embarrassing to New Japan. I think this was his punishment, like, you're not in the G1 this year. Um, but, yeah, Fale, I, I don't expect anything different from Fale. I just think it's going to be the same old bullshit with this guy. Like, he doesn't, like, for me, Fale is the ultimate, like, why is this guy still in the tournament? Like, you could have put Minoru Suzuki in there. Lance Archer could have easily filled the role of the spoiler. The guy who everyone can beat, but he can eke out that win to like, you know, like create like doubt in the eyes of the fans. Like, oh, Okada is not going to go into the finals because he lost to, to Archer or Tanahashi lost to Archer. And, have, and I think he can have a better match with everyone else in the tournament where Fale is very, very limited as to who he can win against. But to your original question, I, I, I hope, I hope for Jay White's sake that he is presented more as a cunning wrestler, not an outright cheater. Yeah, I, I can see this being like a, a really solidification of Jay White uh, throughout this G1. I mean, I, I, I've from the get go, I've been pretty high on him and I didn't disagree with a, a lot. I, I didn't disagree with putting the title on him, but I thought Madison Square Garden, it was a, a real disservice to him that he found himself playing, playing Kenny Omega in, in essence for three months to just be a holdover until they could get the title right back onto Okada. And I don't think it's, it's killed him, but it was a step back. And hopefully this G1 is one, if not two steps ahead for him, that he comes out of this as someone that's um, kind of uh, back in that upper echelon position and, and viewed as such. Uh, I know WH, you are very high on Shingo Takagi. Um, there, there are many, many pairings here that are, uh, of great interest, but tell me about 
Shingo and how you expect him to be handled here in this B block? Is this guy going to be a player in the latter stages? I, I think so. Like, John, you say like, Jay White is their big project. I, I think Shingo Takagi is also their big project. I think he goes hand in hand with what Jay White represents for like one particular side of their business. Shingo Takagi represents the other side of that business as being the na- the native Japanese guy that they're really going to put the rocket on and push him really hard. For me, I was lucky. Like I, I watched him two years ago in the all Japan champions carnival where he, it wasn't, it wasn't pushed that he was a junior heavyweight wrestling all these heavyweights. He was presented as an equal to men much more massive than him, including like Yuji Hino. He had an excellent match with him and he had one of the best matches I have ever seen live against Shuji Shikawa, who towers over him. But it was never an issue because Shingo Takagi has this aura from when he was in Dragon Gate for when he does uh, matches in other companies like Big Japan, like All Japan. And now here in New Japan, he's presented as this power junior, but I don't think there's anyone out there who watches New Japan Pro Wrestling and sees Shingo Takagi and thinks that he doesn't belong, that he can't beat anyone like that he faces, regardless of how much bigger they are to him because of his, his aura uh, to, compared to his, like, you know, just his own strength and power. Like, I think he is going to like really elevate himself more so than what he did in the Best of Super Juniors this year. This is going to be where we see the Shinko Takagi that they envision him to be going ahead into 2020. Had he stayed with the company, do you think Kushida would have been in this year's G1? No. I, I think they looked at him in a certain way that he was never going to escape that role but to me it's really stupid because like this idea that he should never have been in the g1 because i obviously i'm reviewing all the previous g1s and and i see liger's name in there i see minora tanaka's name in there i see koji kanemoto point really high he went into the semifinals one year you know what i mean so koji kanemoto and kushida there's not that much difference in terms of size skill or aura if you could do it with kanemoto you could have done it with Kushida, like he wouldn't have pointed very high in any G1 that he would have been in, but he would have had some really good matches. And I think it would have made him happy enough not to leave the company. You know, I, I find the book, uh, I find the yeah, like um, the Kojima match, you know, to be really interesting uh, 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 with with how they positioned Shingo Takagi in that um, they made it look like he had to work a lot harder against even somebody like Kojima versus, you know, your typical junior by making the basically the pumping bomber look not as effective um so i i i remains to be seen and i i find it really interesting to see how he'll be booked against larger men and people like tomohiro ishii will he be booked as a bit of an underdog uh coming in from the junior heavyweight division that sort of is his story way the biggest question going into this g1 uh it's surrounding taichi and is this the unveiling of the new iron fingers and as i talk about the bullshit quotient this is the guy I could see having that that role as the guy that just uses these iron fingers to get wins. It's true, absolutely. Um, you know, he's been saving this up for uh, all year of uh, revealing, like carrying this thing to the ring, but never using it at all. Um, I, <laughs> I, I think it could be absolutely. Um, and I think what you're suspecting of him being. The, the guy to do all the DQ finishes could very well be true as well. I can see people being really upset at him with his addition into the G1, especially, um, you know, after the tournament's done. Yeah. 
And you could do a story, WH, where his, his first tournament match is with Moxley, that he has this violent match and he comes out on the losing end and realizes like at the end it's just a shot of him defeated and he looks at his bag in the corner and that is what sets him down this road of using of having to resort to his secret power and that's what we see out of Taichi and I can see him getting a bunch of upsets in this tournament well first of all John you just said all that and I, I really feel you should be booking New Japan for wrestling instead of ghetto I, I, I don't like this idea. I'm not crazy about this idea at all because I think it'll be it'll be brought with lots of negativity if he's doing the uh, using weapons in all the matches. Okay, I gotta say this about Tai Chi. Like, obviously, historically, I've been very down on this guy. He ruined the last, you know, Super J Cup for me, and I saw that live, and he just ruined the entire tournament for me. So I've always harbored this like resentment towards him. I will give him credit. This has been the year. Like since he's gone heavyweight. He has impressed me in ring because when he wants to, when he wants to, he is an excellent in ring performer. Some people hate his Kawada isms, but I love it. I love when he does all the Kawada spots. I love it when he's like doing the folding power bomb on guys a little bit bigger than him. For me, that's the Tai Chi I want to see. And I know he's not going to do that consistently throughout this tournament. I know there's going to be a lot of bullshit. I agree with you. I think he's going to use the Iron Finger. I think there's going to be DQs. I think he's going to not ruin the tournament, but I think he's going to tarnish it. But I don't care because I don't give a shit about Tai Chi ultimately. And I, I look at that as being, okay, Tai Chi's on my screen. I think I'm going to go make me, myself a sandwich while, I, while he's on in the ring right now. So that's his role for me. I don't care what he does. I know he's not going to win the tournament. I know he's not going to point that high. And I'm I'm so used to like, all the shit that happened last year that I expect shit to happen in the A block and I expect shit to happen in the B block. So if it's Tai Chi, well, that's okay because I'd rather it be him than like Shinko Takagi doing a lot of bullshit. Also led to the greatest argument you and Chris Charlton ever had over Tai Chi. One a defender and one just fuck this guy. And I'll let you assume which one was which between Chris and WH. (laughs) I think Chris is still a big Tai Chi defender when he's doing commentary on New Japan World. So I think it's easy for the, the listeners to know who, which one is which. All right. We'll round out here with uh, with uh, two more on the B-Block side. Uh, Juice Robinson, uh, you know, last year he was kind of, you know, he played this role and really got over to me with, with like his promo style and just letting himself down and not performing well. Uh, he's coming off the John Moxley loss. Uh, this seems to be a year that Juice Robinson can certainly be much more of a player amongst all of them. I do feel his big win will be uh, defeating John Moxley in this tournament to set up a rematch for the title. And I guess way, where is, is Juice's placement here in the B block? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he'll be somebody finishing at the top. I don't know if that's his character arc. To me, he feels more like a guy who's still trying to prove himself amongst the New Japan ranks. Um, last year, that broken hand really kind of helped give him a storyline that I think really made that tournament memorable for him. Um, this year, he's coming off of that loss to Moxley, but as well a bit of a character ch- shift from being kind of like the 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 jovial, uh, you know, happy guy who, who's cut his hair off now and he's playing a much more serious character. Um, his promos have been tremendous, and I look forward to those almost as much as the matches themselves. But it's it's the match against John Moxley. I really want to see another one of, and it's a a rematch against uh, the aforementioned Jay White 
the uh, a rematch from San Francisco of 2018 where I think you know that particular match to me was was a bit of a breakout match for both he and Jay White and I look forward to seeing what that match looks like now. WH any thoughts on Juice Robinson? Yeah, I don't, I don't know about Juice Robinson. Just he's like in this limbo booking wise to me and I and I don't know understand why because if you're going to make anyone the face of your Western expansion. I, I think it should be Osprey and it should be Juice Robinson. They should be spearheading this. This man has so much charisma and he has adapted so well to the to being a New Japan wrestler, you know, like moving from like the, you know, WWE developmental system, going to becoming a young lion and really getting over with the fans with his charisma and his wrestling ability. I, I don't know if this is his year, like if 2019 is his year. I don't know if, you know, the upcoming Wrestle Kingdom shows are going to be his ascension into that next level. I think 2020 is where we're going to see a lot of these like guys who are underneath your, your Sonatas, your evils, your Ospreys, uh, your Shingos, your Jay Whites, and your Juice Robinsons is included in that where I think this is that next year is where you're going to see these guys take that leap forward. And we're going to clearly see the passing of the guard from like Tanahashi and people like Goto and eat, even Naito, to a small extent, going to be like giving way to like this these group of guys who are just underneath them, and I think Juice is going to be clearly in that mix, especially if they're going ahead with you know doing more shows in the United States. I think you know Juice Robinson has to be the face of that, if not one of them. And that leaves us with Tetsuya Naito, who is a lot of people's pick to win the entire thing this year. Uh, he comes into this with, I, I think, at, at an interesting crossroads where I think that this is kind of the year to to go with it if you're if you're positioning this guy to headline the Dome next year. Um, I could see him being that one that you kind of alluded to, way that loses several of his early matches, and then you see a shift in Naito and has a very strong ending and culminates with him, you know, springboarding himself into the finals at the end of this. Um, uh, WH, is this your pick to win the B block? He's my pick to win the B block, and I, he's my pick to win the whole G1 this year. Um, I, I don't know when is the better time to make him the champion, except at one of the Dome shows in in. January like I I'm thinking it's going to be the January 4th they're, they're going to keep that the traditional big show and the fifth is going to be kind of like the secondary show and it if that holds true then it's going to be him and Okada because the last three years it's Naito's big story like you know whether he's fighting Okada or not like his big story is that he wants to get to the Tokyo Dome he wants to win the IWGP title at the Tokyo Dome he wants to beat and has to be against Okada. It can't be anyone else. It doesn't matter if it's Tanahashi. It doesn't matter if it's John Moxley. It it can't be any of those people. It has to be Okada, and it has to be at Wrestle Kingdom in the Dome. And I think it has to be on January fourth. I think that that's the traditional date, and Naito has to finally get that title again. But this is this has to be the title ring where he holds it for an extended period of time and just cements himself as one of those. IWGP title holders that has, you know, an incredible run with that title. So if you're not going to do it this year, I don't think you can do it next year because the guy's 37. He's got fucked up knees. I don't, you know, the the window's closing on this guy, you know? Mm -hmm. So it has to be this year. 
I think you're right. I think he's the one who's going to start off slow, but he's going to really pick it up at by the last five, four nights, and he's going to kill it in the finals. And I think it's going to be my guess. My my gut feeling is him and Osprey because I think Osprey has to be in the finals to elevate him to where he can be in a headlining position at Wrestle Kingdom on probably the fifth. Yeah, it's it's really awkward because like Naito's my pick as well. But my pick for A Block is Kota Ibushi, and now I'm thinking in my head, will they go to that well again um, for the G1 Finals? I, I do. Oh man, and I, that worries me so much. I mean, at this point, I, I I wonder if if that match itself is a turnoff for people, and if there are enough turn, people turn off by simply seeing that match on paper, will they choose to go there? I don't think they will. I, I think everyone, the second everyone realizes that's the final, I think everyone's going to be right back into. Awesome. They didn't die last time. Let's 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 watch it again. I I, th- I think that that's where this whole thing has been building towards. So that's kind of where I'm leaning towards as well. Um, it is interesting to wonder where Kenny Omega would have figured in had he been here because he did, you know, he beat Naito last year and cut that scathing promo, essentially saying like you can't get to that next level, and you have to imagine that this year. Kenny Omega would have been that final barrier, whether it be in the finals or at least beating Omega in his own block. I would have made that the finals this year because I don't think you could have a more impactful win than Naito knocking off Kenny Omega in the finals to get that that G1 win. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Do either of you think that Naito is going to hold on to that IC belt until he until Wrestle Kingdom and, and perhaps uh, being the double champ that he's trying to claim to be? I don't think it's an accident that he's saying this, this like, you know, Naito two belts kind of storyline going, going into, you know, the G1 and into uh, Russell Kenny. Like to me, it's why, why did, why did he even beat Ibushi for the belt? Mm-hmm. If it, if that's not the storyline, like you should have just, if it's, if it's, if he's not keeping it, just leave it on Ibushi. Like I hate this hot potatoing of the, of the IC title. I think it devalues all the work that like Shinsuke Nakamura put into it to, to elevate it to the where it was before. Um, so for me, like, he has to keep it. Like, I don't want him to, I don't want to see him lose it because he beat Ibushi for it when, like, after Ibushi only had it for a couple of months. So it doesn't make any sense for him not to go challenge it, be a title versus title match. Basically, is this the right, it takes all. Is this the right year to do it, though, the WH, because the, of the two Dome shows? And the need for that, you know, basically I, this year, as many belts headlining the, the show as you can. That's why I think, like, Osprey and the junior title is going to headline the the fifth. You know, I think it's going to be, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's Hiromu coming back. And that's going to be the match. I can't think of a bigger junior heavyweight title match than Hiromu Takahashi versus Will Osprey. And I think if you put, like, two other, you know, matches headlining matches underneath that in the semi and semi semi main that the fifth will do well but i mean i don't think new japan expects them to sell out both of these shows i think they expect the fourth to sell out or or be close to a sellout and the fifth to do very well like i think if they fill half of it more than or more than half they'll be perfectly happy with that because to me like when they announced two nights i thought they were insane i just thought well if you don't want to do you know, New Year's Dash in Corican because the demand is too high. You should have just held it. You should have just called it New Year's Dash, but held it at, you know, Kokugi Khan, Sumo Hall. In, in, in a non-hot climate. 
running sumo hall. <laughs> January right. is mu- much easier to to go attend. Um, yeah, I think that ultimately this tournament it's got to it's got to fulfill several uh, initiatives. I think you have to have something big for Tanahashi by the end of this to to set up him for for something key for uh, down the road. Uh, you have to set up your title matches for Okada for. Uh, presumably King of Pro Wrestling, if not a destruction show as well. Um, we'll. We'll see how many title matches they get out of Okada for the remainder of 2019. Uh, I'm with you, WH. I think Will Ospreay is a, a very big, important aspect of this whole tournament that he's positioned very highly. You also want to have uh, Kota Ibushi look very strong. I think it's certainly Naito's tournament to win, which makes me think that He's not winning this tournament that someone else is going to win because that's just typically how the G1 works out is that the most logical pick uh, doesn't end up being the, the guy who wins it. So I'm all prepared for uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi to win this again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I, I how, how about this one? Out it, him out. If not for both of you, if not Naito, who wins this? Uh, who can challenge Okada at the uh, Tokyo? Jay White, I guess. Oh man, yeah, uh, I, 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 I don't know if any of that, if that might be a more attractive scenario though. Uh, for me to to think about like a peak at Wrestle Kingdom, something that ends Wrestle Kingdom with the closing closing match, it. Has I can't to- see anyone on the B block winning the the entire thing beyond Naito. I think it would have to come from the A block. I, I- maybe be an Ibushi. Yeah, yeah, I think he would be my next next pick. Um, Will Osprey, I think I, I would agree with you. Wh, I see him headlining one of the other nights. Uh, Tanahashi and Okada, you, I don't think it's time to go to that again. But it would either be Ibushi, if not Naito. Yeah, it's either it's either Ibushi or it's if it's B Block, then it's Jay White because he's the guy who they feel like has the most cachet as a headliner. So. I think it's Naito. I, I do think that they're playing it safe this year. I think they realize that the you know the Naito fan base, the LIJ fan base, is at its peak. And that if he doesn't win, I think they're worried. I they, They're not stupid. they got to realize that fans are going to turn on him never winning the belt. I really feel that. Like, I see so much of that, like, in like at live shows and then i see so much of that online like there's this this groundswell of like we want him to win we want him to win and i don't i think new japan is very aware of it because like he has to be one of their top merchandise sellers like i i can't imagine anyone else who touches the amount of t-shirts that this man sells and hats like just hats alone he's he's making a fortune for this company so it it has to be recognize that he is the next in line. And I don't think he's going to have like a massively long title reign. I think if he wins the belt, then he's going to be, you know, six, seven months. And I think the ultimate storyline there, if, if of him as champion is him putting over Kotobushi as the next guy to become a headliner. And Kotobushi's story to become the IWGP heavyweight title champion is against Naito, in my opinion. Uh, one one final thing before we kind of wrap this up is, you know, the experiment of taking the first night over to Dallas, Texas, running the American Airlines Center. Uh, we don't know what the final attendance is going to be, but it's probably going to be 
6,000 or less. I don't think anyone's viewing this as a massive success given uh, given the weight of this show, that it's the first time they've taken the G1. You've got Tanahashi Okada, which uh, I think the rollout of the matches has been a justified source of criticism. WH, how would you view this experiment that they tried? And will this be something they revisit in 2020? And do they go about it in a different way than they did this year? Because I feel had they been upfront with this card... Uh, they would not be having the attendance issue that they're obviously going to have on Saturday. I think it's a lot of factors. I think their philosophy of, of not revealing cards until like everything else is sorted out on previous shows and, and waiting for tours to finish and saying, okay, these are going to be the matches that we're going to have. Um, I think like being in Dallas is a big detriment. It's not a hotbed of wrestling. And I, I don't under I don't see it being like a place where there's a ton of, New Japan fans, and I, I don't know how easy it is to get to, to fly into that, into that city, you know? And the other thing is, is like, if they, if they do another American show, which I doubt, I don't think they're going to go back to America for this, but if they do, like, I hope that they go to either like someplace like Philadelphia, Chicago, or Toronto, or even New York City to do this. Don't go back to Texas. Don't do it in California either. Have it in a, like a, a place that is, you know, has rabid wrestling fans who are going to have a hotbed of New Japan fans already, you know, embedded in that city or very close by. Though I don't know, like, like from what I understand, like I have friends who are checking like the ticket, the ticket sales and it doesn't look good. I got to think that, you know, whoever's spearheading this idea of like having, having the opening night in the United States is not going to have his way in the future. And I definitely don't think they're going to have it in, in Dallas again. I would have done Chicago. I think that would have been the safest bet. And to be honest, I would have looked at either this being the alternative or uh, a, the, the first night of the B block I would have done in London. I think that that's, I, I think that next year you could possibly see a G1 show in England somewhere, because that would be to me where I would be going. It's, it's less of a trek than going all the way to the U S uh, and, and I think that you would, I would have more faith in selling out an 8,000-seat venue in England with the unannounced card versus uh, somewhere like Dallas. Yeah, I think it, it's a it's a show that certainly would have benefited from, you know, I would say some of the more uh, popular wrestlers uh, to a North American fan base. Obviously, any of the members of the Elite would have really helped a show like this. Uh, and when they booked this show, I don't know how much they knew that uh, you weren't going to have Kenny around. Um, but certainly having a guy like a John Moxley, if he was able to do the show, would have been a huge addition as well. Unfortunately, having none of that stuff, uh, none of those per- participants, it, it feels like a, sh- a show that's a lot more created either for a Japanese audience or for an audience that's already very familiar with um, your your New Japan roster as a whole, being headlined by Okada versus Tanahashi and Ibushi versus Kenta as well, which I think to anybody who follows New Japan are incredible matches, but... I don't know how much it means to a casual audience, which I feel like this show is somewhat catered towards. Uh, we have the whole tournament kicking off on July the 6th. Uh, WH, will you be going to any G1 shows or not this year? No, not at all. Just, it's it's really tough to coordinate with, you know, doing any of the July shows. It's, it's yeah. not close by to me. And then I would have normally have done the Osaka shows, but I'm going to be in Toronto at that time. And obviously, I'm not going to be around for the the last three nights at Budokan. I feel really bad. I, you know, like when they announced the participants, I was like, oh, but I, I'm still excited about coming back home 
for for my two week vacation and and seeing my family and and my friends. And, but you know, it, I I would have gone to like at least five of these shows. I think I felt I would have included Hamamatsu and and Yokohama to to the list of places I would have tried to have seen shows at. I didn't realize you'll be here for the Osaka shows, so maybe uh maybe you and I can uh, coordinate that weekend because uh, Wei Ting is going to be away that weekend, so I, I need I, someone. And if you, if your if your family and friends will allow you some free time, I am more than up for helping out. Uh, watch especially the Osaka shows; those are always so good. So yeah, I, count me out on that for that for that job. And, and WH, you also have uh, uh, written up a, an extensive piece previewing the G1. Uh, that will be going up uh, later this week before the weekend, uh, so people can check that out with a thorough breakdown of all the performers uh, and your recommended matches uh, going into it, which is always a helpful guide for people that are trying to keep up with everything, but it becomes very daunting when it's five matches every day. <laughs> it is. I, I don't think I'll be doing my, like what I did for the best of the super juniors, writing like a halfway point uh, recommendation list, just because like, I'll probably be in the midst of like doing a bunch of stuff back in Toronto. So I apologize to all the listeners for that. Any closing thoughts way as you uh, look at this tournament and, I mean, do you have like a, a short list of any matches that immediately jump out at you just, just over the first maybe like three or four shows that really have your interest? There are so many. Um, a lot of them obviously uh, more so in the A block side of things than the B block. Um, but I think a lot of my curiosity lies in seeing how the newcomers will perform. People like Kenta, people like John Moxley, people like Shingo Takagi, and what their matches will look like against um, like fresh matches against all these various people. Um, certainly, you know, a rematch between Will Ospreay and Kota Ibushi on July 18th is a match I'm really looking forward to seeing again, but you just kind of go up and down. And I feel like, especially on the A block shows, there's something to look forward to in many cases, more than one match. All right. So that is going to bring an end to our G1 primer, but our coverage here at post wrestling, it will be very extensive. Uh, as we've mentioned, we will have shows after every single G1 show. Uh, if you're a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, you will get all of those shows. Uh, this Saturday's will be a free show. Way and I will be live after the Dallas show. Uh, you can tune in live if you're a Double Double Ice Cap or Espresso member, but the podcast version will be out for everybody late Saturday, early Sunday morning. And then if you want to get all the bonus shows, uh, you will have to sign up for the Post Wrestling Cafe at postwrestlingcafe.com. Uh, WH, I want to thank you very much for uh, joining us. Of course, you can catch WH every Saturday and Sunday morning hosting Cruel Summer as he goes back and reviews all of the finals of the G1. And coming up this weekend, he will be joined by Wei Ting to chat about the 2001 final. And then Dylan Fox is back for his second tour of duty as he will be with you chatting the 2002 final between Masahiro Chono and Yoshihiro Takayama. And has it been... Uh, have you seen quite a progression now going back and watching as the G1 has grown just over this kind of the, the first half that you've covered of G1's history? Definitely. There is an evolution to how it's being perceived, I think, among the fans. I think there's a, a growing like you know, evolution of how the wrestlers themselves see it. Like by the time you get to say like 2010, 2011, and we see the advent of you know, the generation of Tanahashi, Nakamura, and Naito especially, like how much this G1 means to them. Like, I, I will tell people, go out, watch, like when it comes out, um, the Goto-Makabe G1 final is very, very important. 
like to see like how much winning like that means to one of those guys. I won't say who people it's already been out there, but you know, like it's so important. Nakamura winning that G1 against Naito is one of the most, I feel most emotional wins. You can see how important it was for him. And it's his only G1 win in, in his history in, in the company. Um, yeah, I, I definitely see like, it's an amazing like progression, like from, you know, the first match between Keiji Muto and Masahiro Chono to even like, I think about last year, you know, Tanahashi Ibushi and like just the perception, like how, how G1 has grown to being this, you know, important tournament within New Japan to being this important tournament tournament in Japan to now being this really important tournament throughout the whole world. Uh, for me, I, I'm so glad I, I started this project because it's really kind of opened my eyes as to what the G1 means from 1991 up to 2018. So if you want to go relive G1 and hear from some of the, the best wrestling minds out there, struggle to recall what was going on in pop culture in their respective years, Cruel Summer is the place to go check that out. Every Saturday and Sunday morning at postwrestling.com. You can also give him a follow at WHPark9 on Twitter and let him know how his... Are, is, are we going to get any uh, sandwich rankings throughout the G1? Yes, they're making their return on my Twitter handle. Coffee and sandwiches. That's what we can provide you here at Post Wrestling. So, uh, Way, thanks as always. And before before we go, John, I want to remind everybody, if you're listening to this before Thursday at midnight, you hopefully have already filled out your uh, G1 brackets for our G1 contest, postwrestling.com slash G1. Uh, get your entries in before 11.59 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday, July the 4th. Yes, and if you are really struggling on who to pick, Always go by attractiveness. I think that is that is Gato's tiebreaker. It's Sonata then. Sonata's winning the whole thing. It's going to run the table. Uh, I'm Beard going with all. Goto, undefeated in the entire G1 this year. All right. Thanks to everyone for li- listening. And we will be back later this weekend with a full review of Night One.